0: This is the Fedora Chronicles Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode two of the Retro Thread Podcast. On this episode, Cass McGann and I, Eric and Fisk, continue our talk on style and individuality. We discuss clothing, style, dressing for the proper occasion, and just being yourself before the conversation moves along to talking about the financial system. But first we pick up where we left off last week, our conversation about how social rules have changed thanks to social media and the internet. So thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Everybody is assigned a box Mm -hmm. and you have to stay in your box. You can cross pollinate with other boxes, but you have to stay and when you say, you know what, I, I don't, I don't want to be the geek anymore. I don't want to be the nerd. I want mm-hmm. to be, I want to go, go to the gym and I want to work out in the weight room for a while. But that's, that's not a room for, your, your room is the library. Right. You're, you're not supposed to go to the gym. You're not supposed to take books out of the library and go to the gym and hit the treadmill for, for an, you're supposed to. And okay, well, that's, that's junior high and high school. Mm-hmm. And then when you find out in the real world, high school and junior high are just mere microcosms of that out in the real world. You're not allowed to be a dork and a nerd and be athletic and physically fit.
1: Mm-hmm. Unless, of course, you're Vin Diesel. <laughs> Who is, you know, by, certainly physically fit and the biggest D&D nerd anybody ever has. Exactly.
0: But the thing is, yeah. something has happened, mm-hmm. maybe within the last five or six years, whereas yeah. it's okay to be a nerd and be physically fit.
1: Well, yeah, I think that we, I think, God bless the internet. I think we we started talking to each other and we started finding that we weren't alone. We previously growing up thought i'm the only person who feels like this and then when we started talking to people on the internet oh my god i'm not not only am i not the only person who feels like this there's a whole swath of people out there who have the same the same approach to And and
0: and the same obsessions
1: yeah, yeah, and it's and that's you know um, why cons have taken off and and um, and reenacting and 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 um, vintage living and you know all of these things that are not mainstream, which they're becoming so popular that mainstream. I mean, who's. Who, what is, of course, my world is very different <laughs> than most people's world, but I'm like, is it the mainstream really small now because I don't even see the mainstream? Well, no
0: I I, yeah. I, I I think for um retrocentrics mm-hmm. and you know, whether it's the steampunk or the diesel punk movement or whatever mm-hmm. um or the atomic punk or whatever punk you want to slash punk you want to like throw around, yeah, I think you and I. Are the mainstream in that circle?
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. And yeah, I, I, th- I see that.
0: And, and you look at people who they're obsessed with sports and they know nothing besides football. It, they're oblivious to the fact that there's a world around them outside of football, mm-hmm. and they're shocked after the Super Bowl, like, "What do I do now?" Uh, yeah. You know, they're not, they are they're part of their mainstream. And I think this is one of the things that it was just like, uh, if, uh, I think society is becoming much more fractionalized. Yeah, yeah. I think that you, you we have our world, like mm-hmm. listeners of the Fedora Chronicles, we have our world, people who are into vintage and retro. This is mm-hmm. our world people who are into sports or cars or whatever they have there and very, and there sometimes there is some cross pollination, but not a lot, I don't Mm -hmm. think. And and it's like, and I also think that it's also where we're getting with like the, the realm of politics, which I'm not, I'm not crazy about talking about, but the thing is Mm -hmm. there's, there's divisiveness here in the United States. Yes. And how, yes. did, and how did that happen? Well, I'm, I'm going to have to blame Twitter and Facebook for that.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: You can say the meanest thing about a, po- a political party that you don't like. Nobody's going to punch your face unless that person's a psychopath and they know where you live.
1: Well, yeah. And you wouldn't say it in front of someone. I mean, I've, I've been around people who I'm like, I can't. I've, I've, I've known people who I had to make excuses for. And soon stops making excuses for like, oh, if you knew him in person, he's really nice. Yeah. And on Facebook, you just hate him. And, and you know, there are people that I have blocked on Facebook that I talk to and I'm friendly with whenever I see them because they don't go there in person. And And frankly, that's not cool. No. You know, that's that's not if you if you won't say it to my face, don't say like I I. Of course, I come from you a know, generation that didn't have the internet, but I've always kind of felt that the internet was you're, – if you're on my page, my timeline, my blog, what have you, my forum, whatever medium it is, if you're in my space, you're in my living room.
0: Yeah, I was just about to say that. And if you
1: stand up, walk across the room and smack me, I'm going to take you down and – I'm going to throw you out um, because that's not cool. No, and you're more than welcome to disagree with me, but be freaking civil. Yeah, you know. And if you throw a punch, I will put you on the grounds with my boot on the back of your
0: head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: but but it's it's I mean it's just I I don't. And, and i've been guilty of it too i've taken swipes at people that i'm just like and you don't know who i am
0: Exactly. Yep. <laughs> you know,
1: yep. run away um but but really i mean honestly that's just been very recent that i've done that at all because i really do view things as okay i'm i'm somewhere i'm not i'm commenting on someone else's thread i'm i have to behave i have to put on my company manners because i don't know this person
0: yeah, yeah.
1: And, and things like that. And if I do start trouble on someone else's thread, I almost always apologize to them. Oh, geez, man, this is your, I'm, if you want to delete my stuff, please do, because I got out of hand and that was, there was no, yeah. it's like starting a fight at your, at a friend's house. You know, you don't, it, it's not cool. Even if it's justified, it's still not cool.
0: I, I, and, I and I, I've gotten to the point where it's like, I have been very, very vocal on, on the notion that, um, Like the entire political uh, show that we watched, it's just it's just a show. Mm -hmm. It's and and um, I mean, if you know me and you know my writing, then you know that that, uh, you know, the president, the Congress and the Senate, they're not even in control of uh, of the country. The corporations are. Yeah, you're getting it's like. You're getting angry at the president, whoever the president is. You're getting angry at the president because something you did. Don't be angry at the puppet. Be angry at the puppeteer.
1: Yeah. I am very – we're living in Shadowrun. Yes. What kind of messed up world is this that – like the worst I can't even read this stuff anymore. I can't even read it as fiction because it go, "Oh, you know, Brave yeah. New World. It wasn't an instruction manual, you know, 1984." Yeah, oh, nah. yes. Um
0: and it is. I've, it's we're living in 1984. We're living in in Orwell's
1: nightmare. universe. Yeah. And it's it's um The thing that is most disturbing to me, and I've had this, I had, I I recently came to this conclusion and I don't know what to do about it. And I'm, I'm kind of one of those people who I must fix it. You know, I can't just, I can't just complain about it. I want to fix it. And it's very depressing because I don't, I don't know how to fix it. Um, is that I was speaking to a friend who I never talk politics to because he's conservative. And, um, but one day I took a chance and I said, how do you feel about this subject? And I think the subject was healthcare. care. And, you know, I'm someone who if it weren't for the ACA, I wouldn't have healthcare. I have a preexisting condition.
0: Sure, sure.
1: And and I would not be covered. And, and it's, you know, it saved my life. Yeah. And I I don't think it's the best system. I would much rather have a universal health system where insurance companies aren't involved.
0: In the decision-making, um, if the doctor says you need something, tough shit, you're, oh, you need something, period.
1: I cannot tell you. I, I used to have rather severe allergies. And there are so many times that my allergist prescribed something that my insurance company said, you can't have that. Yeah like what do you mean I can't have? I mean one time I, I got charged $1200 for a blood test because my allergist um didn't do uh, you know the scratch test they do on your back to see what you're allergic to?
0: I I know I've never had it, but I know people who have.
1: Yeah. So they they just like prick your back all over the place and put allergens on it and see what reacts because you'll get you'll get a localized reaction to something. Yeah. And that's how they know okay, we have to treat you for this and that and the other thing. And um, they couldn't do that to me because I have this weird skin condition that if you, I mean, literally the last time I had it done, my allergist pricked my back a bunch of times and didn't put anything on them. And it reacted as if I was allergic. So you get all these false positives. So my new allergist was just like, well, we're not going to bother with that. We'll do a blood titer because if we, if we look at your blood, we can see what allergens, uh, I don't know. Magic, magic, medical, magic. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I worked for pharmaceutical companies. It doesn't mean I understand them. Um, So, so we did this blood test and my insurance company came back and said, well, we're not covering the blood test. That'll be $1,200, please. And I'm like, excuse me?
0: Exactly. See, that's one of the things I rail against. That's one of the things I, how, uh, why, why are you allowed to take part in the decision making process? When yeah. you're not a doctor and you're not the patient. I don't understand yeah. that.
1: And my doctor wrote like three different letters to my insurance company saying this was medically necessary. We could not do this other test on her. And they still were charging me. And, I, and finally I said, take my house. Come on.
0: I dare you. I Give dare you, a, you to take my and, house.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know what they did? They stopped sending bills. They just wrote me off. Yeah. And, um, because I'm like, I'm not paying for this. This is yeah. not something that was a question. This was something that was ordered by my doctor and I went to a clinic that you cover for blood tests yeah. and had a blood, t- I had blood drawn, you know, it's all happened. I had blood drawn. What what they did with the blood is not, I don't even know.
0: I don't you know. Yeah. Whatever. Okay. have had yeah. it.
1: So um my point <laughs> I got a hold on my medical history yeah. but um my point was that I was talking to my conservative friend and I was saying what do you, what do you think about this and he's like oh I think the whole thing is ridiculous I think it's ridiculous that the insurance companies get to just what you and I are saying and I was like how are you a conservative
0: Exactly
1: And I realized in that moment that our media is pitting us against each
0: other oh absolutely oh absolutely divide and and conquer
1: yeah and i mean i've i've heard this i've heard this said many times but i you always think that oh well my side the media that's on my end we tell the truth so there's other guys that lie and while that's more or less true um, at least the media that I listen to because I don't I don't listen to the people who rant and rave about the things that I support. <laughs> right, right. I, I I try to listen to un, I mean there's no such thing as unbiased media but I try to listen to um, media that that portrays the the truth and then they give their spin on it but you know sure, I like that sure. spin. Um but but to get the story I I like to get the the story. Um, But it wasn't until that moment that I realized not only was the media spinning things, but they were trying to pit us against each other.
0: And doing a great job.
1: And doing a great job because the more people I talk to, and it's hard because they'll start screaming about something that will just put my back up. And I'm not real good at filtering that. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you start blaming you know the, I, I only accept that you blame the ills of this country on corporations if you start blaming them on, you know, um, black people or immigrants or, or poor people or I'm just going to be in your face. And, and then we're not having a conversation anymore.
0: Uh, well, one of the things I encourage – well, no, I don't encourage everybody because not everybody can do this. <laughs> I'm telling you first and foremost, try and try and work in a newspaper or other news media. hand in a story that you've worked your ass off on mm-hmm. and then watch your editor rewrite it without your permission so that it, it fits within the narrative of that publication. yeah see what happens and then when you when you write. Like I've written several articles and I've turned them into a paper. This is back in the this is back in the height of the of of the 90s and and the whole thing with 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 the Clintons and every. Mm -hmm. And the thing is that the Clintons did what their fundraisers and their handlers told them to do. Mm -hmm. And and the thing is, is that it was rewritten to fit the narrative that the editors and the paper owners were trying to put out there. And it and and it wasn't even my article anymore. Mm-hmm. And then be a blogger talking about news and find out and talk to people who are actually in politics. Mm-hmm. Join a campaign for a Republican and join mm-hmm. a campaign for a Democrat, a Republican and Democrat that you actually like and respect, and hang out with them after hours. Mm-hmm. There is no difference because they get mm-hmm. their orders from somebody else and it's all about being decisive it's all yeah. about they're the enemy they mm-hmm. th- th- that other party over there is the enemy and once yep. you realize it's all a dance it's all a show the people at MSNBC and Fox, they go to the same cocktail parties together mm-hmm. and they laugh about how they're able to manipulate us.
1: Well, yeah, and, and and they don't even laugh about how they're able to manipulate us, I don't think. I think what they do – I mean the – I think the, the the corporate masters laugh about how they can manipulate us. I think the people from Fox and MSNBC who go to the cocktail parties together – laugh about how good their ratings are this week. Yeah. I don't think they even, they don't even care what they're making us do. They care that they're making us watch. Yeah. And, and, they're, oh, and, and that's, and that's the, the, you know, every profession has its, um, its currency. And news currency is readers, viewers. Yeah. And they don't care what they're doing to the country. They care that they're scooping in bank, you know. And um, it's like when I was – when I brokered commercial paper and one of the big, big reasons I believe in regulation is once upon a time – I remember when when you're a trainee, the thing that you do is you write numbers up on the board because um, you're not qualified to talk.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs>
1: You're you're just not you know don't don't talk to anybody just go up there and do what we tell you. But it's it's a way. Number one, you learn all the banks, and number two, you learn how the market moves because you're you're writing up numbers and then erasing them and writing them up somewhere else. And you you learn firsthand how things operate, and it's the best way to learn. Yeah, you know. Um, so you're up there on the board, and people are screaming at you, and you're writing up the numbers, and they get really really pissed off when you write up a wrong number. And they get really, really pissed off because they just lost $10,000 because you wrote up the number too slowly. And um, and you hang out with these guys, and you realize that they're all gamblers.
0: Yeah, yep.
1: And because when the market – like there will be a, a rally. Every morning, there'll be a rally at some point and it'll last about 10 minutes and then literally the rest of the 10-hour day You're sitting there picking your nose. I mean, it's the most most boring place in the world is a brokerage firm After the rally because you're just like I'm dying of boredom and you can't do anything. You can't even go out to lunch Because the uh, I mean we do go out to lunch But you don't leave your phones because if you leave your phones if you get a call you miss a deal Yeah. And nobody else picks up your phones for you. That's your bank. They only want to talk to you. And um, I remember the one day um, GMAC called in and we had to write GMAC up on the board. And GMAC is a mortgage company that does private, you know, regular person mortgages and, and, and car loans. And what the hell are we supposed to do with this? Write it up right up over there and and they they came in offering ridiculously high rates That anyone in their right mind would have jumped on but all of the brokers went You can't do that Wait, what just put it over there and wrote it on the board and everyone completely ignored it And they were paying so much more than every other bank that was on the board that you could have made millions like hundreds of millions if you'd taken their money but no one would touch it with a 10 foot pole because we had freaking glass steagle and you couldn't
0: exactly yeah and
1: and it's and it's not that oh we were so holier than thou oh we didn't want to ruin the residential mortgage market oh we were worried about the little guy nobody's worried about the little guy because let me tell you in a brokerage firm nobody thinks about anything except the game uh-huh. It's not real money. It's not – it's so – like when you go home and you do your balance your checkbook, it doesn't feel like you're working in the same parameters as when you're doing the spreadsheets to report to your boss you know, what you've traded. And, and I mean we, we would do – we would talk about, oh, I did a buck today. Doing a buck means you traded $100 million a hundred million dollars and it's it's extraordinary i mean the the, it's it's like standing next to a battleship it's so big you can't see it yeah you're too close and so you end up you know i mean it's all just about winning it's all just about making the deal making the trade um it's not even about how much you make it's about the win and and it happens so fast. It happens so fast that if you write up a number on the board that's wrong, if you write up a price that's no longer good and somebody makes a trade based on that, even if it was good 30 seconds ago, the firm is fined $10,000.
0: Ah, ouch.
1: And that comes out of the broker's money, the, the person who made the mistake gets hit for $10,000. And it hurts. doesn't matter how much money you make. It still hurts. Yeah. Um, and, that, and the reason that exists is because everything moves so quickly. You have to be on your toes. You have to And, and that's why we would, get, we would get shit thrown at us up on the board if we didn't change prices fast enough. Because if somebody bought at a price that wasn't real, it was our fault and you couldn't charge us because we, we were just trainees. Yeah. So they would throw things at us, (laughs) you know. And when I say things, I mean coffee cups and phone sets.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You
1: know. Um, but it's the reason why we must have regulation, not because brokers are bad people, because they were also some of the sweet. I mean, I worked in an office of 150 people, and about five of us were women. I had 145 of the best, biggest, big brothers.
0: It's people. People are like that everywhere.
1: I was 22 years old. I was fresh out of college. I was wet behind the ears. I looked like I was 16. And everyone there was like, you know, if if I had a boyfriend, they would all have to meet him and give him a hard time.
0: <laughs> there you go. That's, yeah, um, yeah.
1: Really sweet people who really cared about the people they know. But the thing is, when you're... When you're trading, when you're in the financial um, profession, it's not it, It's about the numbers on a sheet. It's, it's not about the human beings who are attached to those numbers. And that's why Glass-Steagall existed. Glass-Steagall existed because we had a crash in 1929 and we decided to remove um, – we decided to divide uh, commercial banks from – retail banks so that because you know if you crash Lehman Brothers they write it off as a tax write off and everybody still goes on vacation you
0: know (laughs) yeah but when 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 the when you're co-mingled and everything crashes everything comes comes crashing down
1: well yeah and there was a lot of there was a lot of fault to be passed around and I'm not saying that the brokers were not at fault but but having been there and done that um they they're just they're playing a game it's like it's like punishing somebody for playing monopoly it's not real and it never it never hurt anyone before and suddenly it was the bank's fault yeah that they were mingling these mortgages and, and, you know, like the whole thing with Puerto Rico that's happening now, um, and Greece. they were selling municipal funds, municipal, um, mutual funds, like the state of Maryland has a mutual fund that it says it's a state of Maryland mutual fund. So you think it's munis issued by the state of Maryland. It is. Less than 10% munis issued by the state of Maryland and well over 50% Puerto Rican. It says this in their prospectus because it must legally. And it does. No one cheated. It says this straight up in their prospectus. But who reads that? No one reads it.
0: Well, no. I mean, it's, it's the fine print as it were, literally and figuratively.
1: And and it says on the tin state of Maryland municipal funds. So that usually leads you to believe that it's a, you know based on the and and it, it is, it's just not a majority. And that's why these funds went under, because you had, you know, a triple A rated municipal bond from the state of Maryland and a a minus a- bond from Puerto Rico. And the A-bond minus but i'm not i don't even know if it was really a minus but you know the um just a step above junk bonds you wouldn't have bought if someone had put that title on the funds but they didn't right and the reason we have prospectuses is because they're required Mm -hmm. by law and i think that truth in advertising should extend to you can't call a mute you you would have to call it the 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 Maryland puerto rico municipal bond fund rather than you know um or hell call it the puerto rico municipal bond fund because if it's got over 50 percent puerto rican bonds yeah why are you even mentioning maryland's it's way down the, the list so um and that's i mean i don't believe in regulation because i don't believe in the free market But I think the free market is a crazy bucking bronco and you got to put a bit in its mouth
0: Because people tend to to believe That you're gonna be trucking along and everything is fine and you believe that you're gonna stay on course Mm -hmm. And nothing is going to change between now and the end when when the loan or whatever financial institution Runs its course and the and, and the term is over. Mm-hmm. There there are a couple of things that I saw that and I, I was working at the other end. I was I was I was working at uh, the telecom companies that mm-hmm. were just growing by leaps and bounds because everybody was getting on the broadband bandwagon. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> and one of the things is that we 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 would hardwire banks to the internet. Like we would like not just one T1 line, but multiple mm-hmm. T1 lines to this one yep. bank. And oh, when I was watching all of these, cause like right after the repeal of Glass-Steagall, it was just like no holds barred. Mm-hmm. And all these mega bank mergers, mm-hmm. all these banks becoming like these giant large, like we, we had like maybe five big banks in Boston. We had mm-hmm. like Shawmet, Bank of Boston, Bay Bank. I think maybe it was Fleet Bank one of them. I can't remember. And there's the fifth one. I, I, it's like, the name slips me. Mm-hmm. And when they all were like two became one and then the five became one. And this is when these banks were becoming like too big to fail. Yep. A- and you saw these. And I remember watching the commercials for Quicken Loans. And you saw these people, well, you can get a smart choice loan where you could either pay interest only or interest only in the the principal. Mm -hmm. And, of course, everybody was getting these loans where your mortgage for the first two or three or five years was only $500. But then Mm -hmm. after the end of that, uh, that after the teaser rate expired, not only are you paying your regular mortgage, but you're also catching up on the on the interest or the principal that you didn't pay for the first five years.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, you know, as a self-employed person, how hard it is to get a mortgage. You know how hard it is to prove to a mortgage company that you know <laughs> you're you're legitimate. Yeah. Um, and I, I did this, I got one of these loans because I had terrific credit and I was self-employed and I wanted to buy a house and I bought a house and they gave me a no doc loan. They ran my credit and they gave me whatever I asked for. I could have bought a couple million dollar estate and they wouldn't have batted an eyelash, which I didn't, you know, but I, you know, I mean, I, I self-regulated but the same thing, I think it was three years at three years I had a balloon payment you know three years my my um my rate went crazy yeah and and you believe you because you're all full of the spirit that well, in three years the business will be doing well enough that i can I can refinance, and then you can't and because you know you're a small business owner and you turn in your you show them your taxes and they 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 literally look across the table at you and say i don't believe the income you reported to the irs is true
0: because everybody else lied
1: yeah but it's the irs if i lied i'd be in jail i know you
0: know i know like
1: if you don't believe my tax returns what will you believe And then you can't get the loan to refinance. And of course, you can't get the loan to refinance because they don't want you to refinance because they are making a ton
0: of money off of you. That reminds me of two conversations that I had. I I think I think I'm going to cut this in half. I think I think I'm going to get two shows out of this.
1: And we will do one about costuming and being a freak and one about the economy.
0: Okay. So so the thing is, is that there's there's a great book out there. I don't know. I don't know if you've read it or not. I don't even know if you have to. Mm-hmm. There's a great book out there, and it was suggested by me, and somebody says, this, this is the Bible of every conspiracy theory out there huh. about the Federal Reserve.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's called The Creature from Jekyll Island.
1: Mm-hmm. I've never heard of it No
0: um, I should I should send you a copy I gave my Gave my father-in-law One Because it's a thick book And he's at the age Where he does nothing But read But get the audio Book version And if If you're just doing Work You just And the thing is Is like The, the first quarter Is a lesson on um, it, It's It's a It's a It's a lesson on The terminology Used by mm-hmm. By bankers And whatnot mm-hmm. And The The and the history, and, and it's like it's a long history lesson. And then it gets into um, how money is made and created and manipulated and juggled through um, fractional reserve banking. Mm-hmm. And everything revolves around revolving debt.
1: Yeah, no, as a business owner and as a person who's worked in finance, I think – There are perceptions we have, because I'm not a conspiracy theorist, um, but I'm not a conspiracy theorist about the financial markets because I've worked in them and I know how they work and I know Mm -hmm. that most people don't. Um, But we look on banks and mortgage companies and and finance companies as if they're services and they are for-profit businesses. Yeah. And the way they make money is by charging interest.
0: Exactly. And, exactly.
1: And yeah, and and this is, and I am of the opinion that this this needs to be clearer that there are for profit businesses, and I I fully encourage. I, I remember my ex husband was a had this notion that we should have a nonprofit bank. And that it would be wonderful because the nonprofit bank would only charge as much as it needed to do to operate. And and therefore wouldn't you wouldn't have all these ridiculous fees for nothing and you wouldn't be paying CEOs ridiculous salaries and bonuses and all that. And um banks and this the funny thing is, I don't know this from working in finance. I remember this from civics class in high school, that banks are the only industry where they can write a number down on a spreadsheet and that number suddenly becomes real. Yeah. Because they they can create money. They are the only, only industry that can make, can create money. I shouldn't say make right. money, but create money right. out of nothing. Say, we have this much money because we say so.
0: Exactly. And one of the things that I I had learned Mm -hmm. is that they bank on the fact that the people, it's like if you're a Honda customer working through Honda Financial, Mm -hmm. they believe and they have you on the spreadsheet as a permanent asset. Yes. Whereas if you're a Honda person, you're going to go, you're going to take your your 2012 Honda Civic and Mm -hmm. bring it in after after 5 years bringing in for a 2017 Civic or another Honda product they expect that and they and they'll start bringing you in at they'll after 4 years of a 5-year loan or a 5-year mm-hmm. lease after 4 mm-hmm. years cuz they want to get you in on another 5-year loan after oh, yeah, only absolutely. 4 years and they and they expect that you're going to be on this merry-go-round between now and in in perpetuity
1: mhm Yeah. And I, I mean, I had my Audi, I bought my Audi in 2004 and financed it and, you know, paid it off, um, in 2008, I think, and had it until 2012. And I remember at one point I went in for service and ran into, uh, the salesman who sold the car. Who was an older guy who kind of like was on the edge of retirement and was just like not trying anymore, which is yeah. one of the things I loved about him. I just kind of walked in there and I went, "I want that. Get me financing." And he was like, "Oh, I can't come down on the price." I'm like, "No, I want that." <laughs> no, I I'm just like, "You tell me that's the price? I believe you that that's the price." go write me a deal, you know? <laughs> so, so you know, I I didn't make him work hard for his sale, so he was kind. When I came back in, he was like, I got to ask you because management makes me ask you, um, do you want to look at something else? You know, you're three years into your, your car loan. Maybe we want to upgrade you to the next thing. And I'm like, no, because you ruined the TT. Yep. And I like my TT, and my TT is perfectly good, and why would I trade it in on something that your company has ruined? <laughs> you know? just,
0: just to make sure TT stands for...
1: Oh, um, uh, Audi TT. It's a, it, that's what it's called. Oh, um, okay. Roadster. Okay. Yeah. No Roadster. Um, so, uh, it means something, but it's possible it's German. Okay. I'm sure one of the T's is turbo. But okay. Not entirely certain, um, but yeah, it's a it's a cabriolet. It's a it's a roadster, and um and beautiful, lovely. One of my favorite cars that I ever owned. I loved it, and the only reason I sold it was because I was moving to um, the Virgin Islands, and who needs heated seats
0: and leather? <laughs> you don't want
1: you don't want a car with a leather interior in the Virgin
0: Islands. <laughs> no, I can't imagine why.
1: No, um but. You know, and and he was he was real easy on me. He's like, you don't really want it. I'm like, no, I don't. And he never asked me again. But that wasn't what he was supposed to do. Exactly. What he was supposed to do is ask me. You know, every six months, and they mail you things about. Oh, and we have all these new. I'm like, I know people who are on this roller coaster, and and it's it's partially their own fault, but it's also partially. You know, who in their right mind would drive the same old car if you could have a brand new one every three years? What well, the people who on, yeah. are doing the numbers.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing is, is that and, and it, this gets into real conspiracy theory mm-hmm. territory where um, I had somebody sitting down here in my office and we were talking about the whole concept of too big to fail. Mm-hmm. And he worked for another car dealership, and he told me, "You can tell people that I work for a car dealership, and you can tell people that I worked for the Chamber of Commerce mm-hmm. in this town, but you can never tell them my name, the town I live in, or even the dealership, the 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 brand name of the car that I that that uh, that I sell for." Mm-hmm. And he said, "Here's the un the ugly truth:
1: mm-hmm.
0: what you see is our primary lot." Yeah. If you're lucky, you get to see our secondary lot because that's Mm -hmm. where we have all the, but God forbid you ever see our tertiary lot because that's where they put all the cars that were brand new that they were never able to sell. Mm -hmm. And um, Mercury and Chrysler had this huge problem back in the 2000s, whereas you have to sell these cars. You even have to sell them at a loss because you get these factory rebates. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, you have to do something with the cars that you don't sell. There are are acres and acres and acres of property that is hidden from the rest of the world here in New Mm -hmm. England from the orbiting towns, dealerships, where they Mm -hmm. have American-made cars that never sold. There are mm-hmm. brand new two thousand four, two thousand five, two thousand six cars that are brand new. They've ne- they've never been owned. They've never. The only time that they've ever been driven is when they've been driven from one lot to the next, mm-hmm. or driven off the, the the factory floor, the factory mm-hmm. building, and they're just sitting in these lots rotting.
1: Mm-hmm
0: and they're there and they're hidden away from the pro- from the world to inflate the price of the cars that are coming off the truck.
1: Yeah, sure, because supply and demand if you have too much supply, if more supply than you have demands, the price should go down. But if you remove the supply from the supply chain. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's simple econ- That's not even conspiracy theory. That's just simple economics. It's so people don't realize what's going on. And and to bring it back to um I have a wonderful way to bring this back around to tailoring.
0: <laughs> of course. Well, there you go. Um the
1: to touch on a moment the idea of too big to fail, because one of the arguments I get in with my conservative friends is, oh, we should have never bailed out the banks. We should have never bailed out the uh, the car companies. Well, I I I agree and I don't.
0: You at and the you time. and me both. You and me both.
1: Yeah. At the time. We absolutely had to because the failure of our banking system would have plunged the entire world into a depression. We likely would not have survived. And that's not doomsday talk. No, that's we came pretty close to scraping bottom as it was. Yeah. And and we really needed to do that. However, the problem is that I tried to get an SBA loan right after the banking failure, maybe a year after the banking failure. And everyone was talking SBA loans, SBA loans. My my bank was pushing SBA loans. I wanted to get a $20,000 loan, which is chump change. And I walked into the bank, this bank that I do all my banking with, and they say, oh, go with a small bank. And there's no such thing really. But I went with a small bank, small local bank, and I knew everyone. And they're like, oh, well, can we make you a loan? I'm like, yes, you can make me a loan. I want $20,000 because I want to buy new printing equipment and new computers and new software. and Because I was, I was just running a lot of old stuff and I want to, you know, um, upgrade. And I want a $20,000 loan. I had two $10,000 face value T-bills that I put up as collateral. T-bills, you take to the counter and they will hand you $10,000 in cash. So we're not talking about something that has to be traded or um, whose face value changes. We're talking about you can take it any moment to the counter and and cash it. I put these two T-bills up as collateral and they would not give me a $20,000 loan. Hell. And – and and then what I ended up doing was just going well hell with it I'm gonna do the I'm just gonna cash the T bill which is what I did I cashed the T bills and and uh, and and bought the printing equipment outright um, and they wouldn't make me a loan because although our president had signed all this legislation to encourage the small business administration to open up loans and everything ultimately the banks have say because they are private institutions they're a small business just like yours and mine yeah and you can't put a gun to the head of a small business or a large business and say you must sell the thing to someone who is not a good customer So the bank said, her credit's no good. My credit was fine.
0: Of course, yeah, yeah.
1: My credit wasn't excellent, but it was fine. Sure. Um, And plus, I've got collateral equal to the face value of the loan. And actually, the president of the bank said to me, I don't know what they're doing, but they will not talk to me about this. And I'm like, how many small business loans have they made this quarter? And they said, they're not making any.
0: Yeah, they're hoarding the money. They're
1: because it. the the Fed funds rate was so low. Fed funds rate was as close to zero as it's ever been. And they're not going to make any money.
0: Of course not. So yeah.
1: it's, it's just like saying, um, okay, you're a business and we want you to sell at cost.
0: That's exactly what it was. That's the best way to look at it.
1: And I think the mistake that, the administration made when they did all this stuff to make it easier for the SBA to, to make loans, the one thing they didn't do was require the banks to issue loans. And that's why we got into the, the trouble that we got into right after the banking crisis ended, is that you had all these banks that were doing nothing because they can go trade commercial paper with each other and make much more money.
0: Yeah, just by just by uh, swapping uh, paper back and forth with each yep. other.
1: Yep. Overnight, overnight loans. You know, by tomorrow morning, you're this much richer. Yep. And um, so, you know, the way the Fed is supposed to work is that you drop the interest rate, and that encourages people to want to to get loans. But if you drop the interest rate too far, the banks go, there's no money in this.
0: Exactly, yeah, yeah.
1: And what, what we needed to do was shut down their ability. into the government needed to regulate them. The government needed to say, hey, either you do this, small business loans, you know, let's put these criteria on that are legitimate criteria so that you don't, it doesn't hurt you. Sure. But either you make these small business loans or we're removing your FDIC insurance or whatever, you know, um, put a gun to their head. If we were going to bail them out, there needed to be consequences, and there there weren't the proper kind of consequences. And I don't think we realized. I don't think anybody envisions that banks were just going to go, yeah, we're just not going to trade. Yeah. Yeah. And, but that's exactly what they did.
0: That's that's the scariest part, right there, is that that that's you you cannot tell somebody to do something,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, unless of course you're playing for tat. We'll give you this money. We'll give you yep. this money from the treasury, mm-hmm. but you have to do. So this is what you have to do with it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that was a requirement that needed to happen that didn't. And that's really the only problem I have with the bailout is that it, it didn't, it didn't do that. And so they just went, yeah, okay. You bailed us out and now we're just not playing.
0: And now we're and- getting into other controversies with with uh, you know executive compensation and stuff like that, and it oh, just yeah. looks bad. It it looks bad
1: that there were not torches and pitchforks in every financial district in every city of this country is amazing to me. I don't know. <laughs> I was like, you guys are going to get yourself killed, and and they didn't. And it's it's still shocking to me that nobody. You know, I mean, if I lost my house, I'd be there with a pitchfork. Yeah. I'd be there. Um. But I think that, I, I think that the, the sad thing that's happened in our society, our Western society, is that we're so dependent on debt. I mean, you know, being a historian, you look at 18th century and 19th century Europe and how being in debt was a crime, you know, to a certain, greater or lesser extent. And, and that was like the most horrible thing you could say about someone is that they were in debt. And now, if who do you know who's not in debt?
0: I died. Nobody.
1: Nobody. I mean, I was debt free for a little while and I went and, and got a car loan because my, my credit rating was dropping because I had no debt.
0: Yep. That's how they get you. That, that yeah. is how they get you.
1: And the problem is that our society is now based on this revolving debt. We need to have debt to buy a house because no one can afford to buy a house. We need to have debt because we need to have cars, because we need to drive to our jobs because there's not you know, public transportation that's worth a damn, you know, we need to buy, um, business casual clothes that are clothes that we would never wear any other time in our life. And, but we need to wear them because our job doesn't allow us to wear this or that. Yeah. So we have to wear this thing. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, if I proselytize for a moment, this, this shit's got to stop. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and this is how I bring it back to tailoring. We, are, we have turned into such a disposable society that it's, it's bull. I mean, I, I am a car lover. Do not get me wrong. I am a mm-hmm. motorhead. Uh-huh. I love sports cars. I don't have a car right now. What? Because I don't have a car. I don't need one. I, I mean, my husband has a car. And we both work from home. And I, I mean, I just don't, I don't, I haven't had a car since I sold my Audi when we'll moved to the Virgin Islands. I didn't need a car. Um, and it's, it's and the way you said what, what, how could this be? It's inconceivable. Because
0: um, the thing is, not. for a second there, I had this picture of you and your husband not having a car.
1: Oh, no, 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 okay. no. Okay. I mean, okay. and, and, you know, and, but but if that were possible we would do that yeah. it's just not it's not possible in this country um like if we could use public transportation if public transportation were like it is in in japan you know i lived in japan for a while and there was nowhere you couldn't go i mean i went to visit grandma who lives out in a farm i don't even know the name of the prefecture it's so far out no one knows the name <laughs> sure and you could go there on a train And someone will pick, you know, one of the family will pick you up at the, at the train station, but you don't have to have a car to get there, you know, and, and, you know, family would have one car and, um, because you don't have to take the car to go to work because there's, there are trains and they're good trains. They're not crap. Um, they're buses and they're not crap they're you know, because not. in in the United States, it's like the lowest rungs of society take public transport because they have no choice. But in other countries, everybody takes public transport because it's good. And why would you park in the city if you didn't have to? You know?
0: Oh, yeah, exactly.
1: Um, Yeah. But I mean, I worked in, in lower Manhattan and there were guys who drove in from Connecticut who drove in from Connecticut every day. And I'm like, why do you drive? Well, and there's a, there's a parking garage under the World Trade Center. I'm like, yeah, and you drove in from Connecticut. That's like two hours. Why, do you, I
0: don't why would you spend that. two hours?
1: Yeah. I spend two hours on the subway coming in from the ass end of Brooklyn. But at least I can nap. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I've driven that route from Connecticut into New York City. And it is just like, what the hell are you thinking? I couldn't yeah. do it every day.
1: Yeah, and think about it. Most people don't. You know, the fact that it's that crazy and that's not most of the people who are going into the yeah. city to work every day. Most most people don't do that because it's nuts. And he, he did it because it was just like, oh, well, I'm I can afford it. I'm like you're an ass. You know,
0: <laughs> you know? what? I, you know what I would like to do for 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 a future show between you and me? because i mean i I, so I looked at the clock and i have an i have an, another appointment outside the house and i'm going to uh-huh. ha- a little I have to, you know what i really want to do is is i, I want to i want to do a show with you and talk for an hour how can everyday people fix their financial situation from an expert from somebody who has done what you've done mm-hmm
1: I I have to add the disclaimer and we will absolutely add this disclaimer on the show that I am no longer a license. I'm no longer licensed by the NASD. So I'm not allowed to give advice professionally. Okay. But I can editorialize
0: (laughs) that that's even better.
1: Um, absolutely. I can do that. I can, you know, I mean, that's how we get around it. It's just, you, uh, there's this thing you have to do when you're an a s d licensed and say um i can i can only or or I can give you advice, but I can't counsel you there's there's vocabulary we'll find the vocabulary, so we say it right and, yeah um but and and quite frankly, you know I'm not an a s d licensed anymore, so I don't have to listen but i can't tell you I can't tell you what to do with your finances. I can just tell you what I did with mine and fixed it you know what I mean okay kind of Kind of splitting hairs, but you know what I'm saying. And, um,
0: and if you'd like, send me the disclaimer that I have to put on the show page too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll I'll dig something up because and and quite frankly, I don't know because I'm I'm a private citizen now who's not licensed, so I might not have to say anything. But I'd like to say something because I don't want people thinking that you know I'm speaking with the word the the voice of God.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> um, but. You know, I have, some, I have some ideas and I've proven them right and maybe they'll work for you. Uh, yep. Kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, I mean, let's do it because I, I, give, I give financial advice to friends all the time. That would be great. Um, and it, 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 but it, it's difficult. You know, I mean, I recognize that if I had to go outside the house every day to go to work, I would need a car.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I I don't have one because I don't need one, and and every once in a while we talk because I love my sports cars. And for a while, when we first moved back from the Virgin Islands, I bought myself a present. It was a, a Lotus Elise, <laughs> and um, it was my present yeah. <laughs> to to compensate me for having to be in Pennsylvania. Um, but ultimately, the roads here are just awful (laughs) yes and i didn't drive her because i would you know lotus elise is a wonderful wonderful machine but it is like getting dragged down the road in a cardboard box Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and if you're driving on roads that have potholes and seams and and inconsistencies it's not only uncomfortable but it's actually dangerous because it's such a a precision machine, you can lose control of it by going over a a bump. Um, So I got rid of her, but you know, I would love to have a car that I just had for fun, but it's, it's one of those things that, well, I don't have $40,000 to throw at that. Yeah. And I don't want to finance anything because it's not, I don't need it. And, and believe me, I'm like, I am, I love luxury. Mm hmm. But there's stuff that's luxury and there's stuff that's just too much stuff. And, um, and I think that, you know, in my, my crotchety old lady way, I, I think that, that the big lesson our society needs to learn is that maybe you don't need two cars. Maybe you don't need all that stuff. Maybe you could live in a smaller house. Maybe, you know, X, Y, Z and you'd live a better life because you wouldn't be so fretful over your finances all the time and more importantly these financial institutions who we we do think of them as services we think of them as like the phone company electric company which which are also you know for profit institutions but but you know if the if the electric company was that's probably not a good example. If they were charging egregiously more for electricity, it it wouldn't be right because you need electricity. So why do we allow banks to charge egregiously more than they should because we need them? Yeah. Ultimately, you know, people talk about, oh, the free market will fix it. Well, I'll tell you what the free market won't fix. The free market won't fix uh, an industry that manipulates the free market. If you, they've made you need them. And that is the definition of a monopoly. And that's something that is contrary to the, proper operating of the free market
0: yeah and it gets back to the entire thing where banks and insurance companies started to call what they do products Mm -hmm. instead of I mean it's a loan it's a it's a it's an agreement when you start when when you when you start calling a product then that means that you have to keep cranking out new product to to stay ahead and make a the terminology is upside down and is crazy. And and the idea that a company like Quicken can call their, Oh God. They can call their the smart choice loan. And the idea that, that they get get away with that. How come the FC, not the FCC, but uh, how come, how come somebody hasn't slapped them down yet? I, I, yeah. I don't understand that.
1: Yeah. Because you're because glass steagall has gone because <laughs> you're allowed to do that.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and, and isn't one of the, the famous um, sports complexes, and I'm not a sports person, but isn't, isn't one of the famous sports complexes now called the Quicken Loan Center? I think it Instead is. Instead of being called like Wrigley Field or something. Something like, was,
0: yeah, like, like that.
1: Yeah. And I, that horrifies me, you know. Um, that's just like, it, that's like something out of 1984. I'm like, what do you, what? What,
0: you know, is and, that I'm, right? and, and, and I'm going to tell you one of the things that I, I'm, I'm dying to talk to somebody about this book that it's, I'm rereading and mm-hmm. it's from Christopher Hitchens. Why, yep. Ormel, Why Orwell Matters. Mm-hmm. I, I got, I've got to talk to somebody about this book. Yep. When, when I, I, I
1: haven't read it, but I love Christopher Hitchens. It's very insightful. It's a,
0: it's a dense book. He says more in one page than a lot of authors do in one chapter.
1: Yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to read it, and then we can have a chat. All right. Um, but uh, to bring it back around to tailoring, it's, it's all part of this disposable society nonsense, you know? Um, I, I sew on a sewing machine that is at least 50 years old, and I'm actually replacing it with a sewing machine that's 70 years old because I like it better. And that's not because I'm kind of some weird retro person. That's because the new stuff doesn't hold a candle to it. You know, what I need to do, I don't need all your fancy little stitches. I need something that's made out of cast iron because I'm yep. going to beat it. Yep. <laughs> and I don't I don't need it to do all this fancy stuff because I don't do that fancy stuff on the machine anyway. I do it by hand. I need it to sew a straight stitch and then stop. Yeah. Um. And... It, you know, people are like, oh, you know, you're so retro that you sew with a retro machine. It, it really, it isn't that at all. I am very, very much a modernist in a lot of things. But if modern stuff doesn't do the job, I mean, it, it annoys me that modern stuff doesn't do the job. Yeah. Um, and, like, for example, with cars, I love modern technology in cars. Yep. Oh, my goodness. But, you know, if you build a car, to fall apart in three years. And that's one of the good things that's happened with the car industry, at least. I mean, remember when it, you would never get to 100,000 miles on a car.
0: Especially the Chevys that I own. Yes.
1: Yes. 100,000 miles was about where the engine block topped out. And if you got any further than that, it was with a new engine. Yeah. And now we routinely see cars going to 200, 500, Subarus, 500,000 miles. Yeah. Yeah. And It's extraordinary. And that's one of the good things that's happened in our society. But at the same time that has happened, we still go and trade our cars in every two, three years.
0: I I don't understand. I don't. I don't understand it. I honestly, I I don't.
1: From a fashion point of view, I understand wanting the new shiny. I understand completely wanting to have the new pretty thing. Totally understand it. But. And I, I understand wanting a pretty car. But a car at base must be functional, and do the thing. Yeah, you know, and I mean, I had an Audi TT, and it had Quattro, and it was a sports car, and it would dust you. But I also drove it in the snow, you know. I mean, it was it's it really kind of funny, and everyone. I I remember driving past Subarus in the ditch, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and going, well, you you know. Um, and it was, it's, I'm not saying it was terrific in the snow, but it was, it was good enough. And um, and I think that I'm a big believer in, well, I'm also, I'm not anymore. I was once an owner of a Bang & Olufsen stereo system.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Bang & Olufsen is one of those systems that you could buy a 30 year old system secondhand. And it would, it would last for your lifetime. you it on to your kids yeah um i bought mine from a broker i knew in new york who was getting rid of his old system because he bought a new system and he bought it he bought a the cd player the six disc cd player the classic one where it's the the head moves you have six cds sitting in the thing and there's a plastic or glass cover on it and the, the head moves
0: yes to change
1: cds really really you know museum of modern art it's in the Museum of Modern Art as a, as a sculpture, but it's totally functional, which I love. I love yeah. sculpture that works. That does oh, yes.
0: Stuff.
1: Yeah, we talked about this before. Just, I just love art that is – I love machines that are artistic and they do their job and they're pretty. Um, but yeah, I had a Bang & Olufsen stereo and you could always go to Bang & Olufsen and get another cord or another jack or I bought a CD player and the Bang & Olufsen store helped me – hook the CD player into the tuner that existed before CD, pl- CD technology
0: existed. You and I have got to have a conversation. I'm just becoming an audiophile again. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about how uh, audio products and how they compare between now and then. And there's yeah. something about the warmth that you can only get from vacuum tubes.
1: Oh, you should talk to Bob. Bob used to be a... a, a a tube radio enthusiast used to repair tube radios and analog is awesome. Analog is awesome. He's yelling from the other.
0: <laughs> <room>. <laughs> do you, do, but, do you, do you have another microphone for him?
1: <laughs> oh, I'm sure we do. Uh, do we have another microphone?
0: <laughs> definitely. <laughs> you, that, you know that, no you, you know what? That, that would be, that would be a definitely a fun show for us. Mm-hmm. And, and I, he's
1: got radio voice.
0: Oh, <laughs> I, I can hear him in the background.
1: <laughs> yes. Um,
0: I have I, I I have the face for radio, so I. I <laughs> yeah,
1: right. <laughs> he says he says so does he, um, but it. I mean, yeah, it's. I I think that. And and to bring it back around to tailoring, because that's what I'm supposed to be talking about. Who knows what I'm
0: supposed I, to be I, talking I, about? This is the Fedora Chronicles radio show. We wander all over the place.
1: Yeah, um, but but seriously, you know, I mean, it's part of our. Disposable society, and and there's there are, there are wonderful things our disposable society gave us. A lot of medical innovations, um, that we wouldn't have had if we hadn't had plastic technology. Um, things that you can do to save people's lives that are absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. We. I should never buy a boombox that only lasts a year before it stops playing my CDs. What is up with that? Um, I think We shouldn't turn over our cars Every few years and the car industry shouldn't be based on us turning over our cars every few years and it is and um, I Mean the way to get around that is the cars last for far longer than that so just hold on to them, you know
0: Yeah yeah,
1: I I have friends who have twenty year old cars that they it, they were passed down to them by their parents, and they still have them and they still run perfectly. Yeah, and 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 that's you know getting back to my whole preachy rant about um, things in landfills and being environmentally sound and reduce reuse recycle. I don't. I'm not suggesting that anybody deprive themselves of something. But I think that buy something good and keep it for longer and repair it and, you know, uh, renovate, remake, um, rather than this crazy, I mean, I'm just, I I think there's something about not being a follow of the crowd in the first place that kind of freed me from that idea that, oh, I have to have this thing. You know, um, I don't have to have that thing matter of fact if too many of you start having that thing I really don't have to have that thing
0: <laughs> Exactly exactly and I think that and I think that that is a perfect place to uh to leave it until next time <laughs>
1: Yes <laughs> cuz we have to leave it at some point
0: Well and I'm I'm, I'm getting I'm getting dirty looks from from uh, somebody who says you're going to be late you're going to be late, be late.
1: <laughs> Well don't let me make you late
0: All right I'll talk to you later okay
1: Awesome Thanks, Eric. Bye-bye. Have a good week. Bye. You too. Bye.
0: This has been the Retro Thread Podcast with Cass McGann and Eric rinder You can find out more about us by going to our show page, retrothread.com and thefedorpermicles.com slash retrothread. There you will also find a link to Cass's business, Reconstructing History, with countless patterns for you to choose from so you can bring your own retro vibe to your wardrobe. Our theme song is from Lena Sachs. the song is her cover of the song Under Pressure by Queen and David Bowie. Check out all of her music at lennasax.com. The Retro Thread podcast and other shows on the Fedora Chronicles have been brought to you by our listeners. Check out our homepage to find out how you can join in and participate. There you will also find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts and other social media outlets. So until next time, for Cas McGann and myself, this is Eric Rinder kingfisk signing off. Keep your chins up and your fedoras on.